Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined here by Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Good, Andrew. How are you doing? Well, well, we haven't talked in a few weeks. It's been some time off. Uh, we had to shuffle our schedule a little bit, but you've been busy with the podcast. There's no time off for you. Yeah, I've been doing the daily delivery podcast, but uh, I've always got Access Vikings will always hold uh, number one in my heart. Um, love, love the Access Vikings podcast. And we got a lot to talk about, don't we? We do. Yeah, we got free agency coming up with the Vikings here um, next month. March 17th is the official opening bell, but they're going to be doing plenty of work before then. Uh, we'll talk about why maybe they won't be able to re-sign as many of the guys as they would like to that are heading on out the door. Um, they've got, I think, um, double-digit unrestricted free agents, 10-plus. I think they might have 11. And then they have some restricted free agents that those guys are going to be the first ones we'll be hearing about. And I'll, we'll kind of talk about why and which ones they want to keep around. Um, the franchise tag window's open, but I don't think the Vikings are going to pull a surprise like they did last year and, and tagging Anthony Harris the salary cap situation just doesn't allow them much flexibility. So there's that. And we'll get into all of that. And then of course your Twitter questions. Thank you guys for sending all of those. Um, Mike, let's start off with, I think just previewing free agency a little bit. Now that they've got their coaching staff in place, um, they finalized some moves on defense, bringing in Paul Gunther as a defensive assistant, senior defensive assistant, basically replacing Dom Capers. Um, they're bringing Carl Scott from Alabama as the defensive backs coach. Those were the final pieces that they needed now they can kind of go into free agency um, and execute the plan that they want to do. And from what I've heard, they would like to bring back a lot of the guys that are currently free agents. It's just not going to happen financially. I think there's going to be some guys that are priced out. Um, I think when you think of Eric Wilson, he's, he's the number one guy that I would think they would love to keep. If they could somehow find a way to sign him, they would love that. But from what I've heard, this guy could be making 10 million a year. They can't afford three 10 million a year linebackers especially in today's NFL. Um, so to go down the list of free agents that they've got, it's Anthony Harris, it's Eric Wilson, and then basically it's a bunch of the guys that are going to be bargain bin kind of options around the NFL. And those are the guys that I think you're going to see them resign. Um, I think it's going to start off with, you know, Amir Abdullah, Rashad Hill, some of those kind of guys. Um, and then we'll see what kind of splashes they make in external free agency. But Mike, when we're talking about the Vikings current free agents, um, I don't think we're going to see many surprises. What do you think is the ideal outcome for the Vikings in terms of the guys that are free agents? Because to go down the list, like I said, it's Anthony Harris, it's Eric Wilson, Rashad Hill, Amir Abdullah, Sean Mannion, Brett Jones, Dakota Dozier, Jaleel Johnson. They don't have too many big name guys. Afadio Denebo is also a restricted free agent, so there's a decision to make on him as well. Um, what do you think are the biggest calls that they've got to make there? Yeah, Wilson's a big one, like you said. You know, if he, you know, you're right. You, you can't have Kendricks, Barr, and Wilson, I don't think. You know, the, they, they don't, the, first of all, the scheme they run, right? I mean, in a normal situation, you, your third linebacker isn't on the field enough probably to justify paying them all that much. So, you know, Wilson shows nicely when Barr's hurt, um, you know, this last season and probably makes himself – quite a bit of money in, in free agency. Good for him. But yeah, he probably has to do that somewhere else. I'd say if I'm thinking about ideal outcomes for Vikings in free agency, it's less to do with a specific player, probably so much as it is 
kind of an overall philosophy of don't overextend uh, on this year's cap. It feels like they, you know, we've been kind of talking for, I don't know how many years in a row now about, you know, the kind of up against it, right. They don't have a whole lot of room to maneuver, you know, and that's kind of what contending teams do. If you fancy yourself having a Super Bowl window open, you're not going to leave yourself unused cap space, right? You're going to try to maximize your roster. You're going to sign maybe fringe guys that you wouldn't otherwise sign to make sure you have depth, things like that. But it's going to be a tricky proposition because you feel like on one sense, 2021 could be a little bit of a make or break year for, you know, Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, you know, depending on how the Wilfs see it, Um, you know, a good season probably extends them further out. A, A poor season might call into question their, you know, their job status at the end of the year. So, I don't know if they're going to be looking to cut corners or, you know, get, uh, get healthy on the cap for 2022. But I, I kind of feel like that's an ideal outcome is not to overextend to, you know, maybe say goodbye to some of these, some of these players that they'd like to have, but, but that they just don't really fit and not try to, you know, not try to get too cute and try to force, you know, an expensive player under the cap, which sounds like the cap's going to be a little bit higher than it, than it otherwise would have been to, to not, you know, to not overextend and, and maybe give yourself some, some room down the road in 2022 and beyond to actually, you know, sign some players you really want. Yeah. That's a good segue too, because their toughest decisions are probably going to be guys that are currently on the roster signed for next year. And yeah. How, how do they find that room? Cause as, as we all know, this team is, I think the projection, if, if the salary cap comes in at 180 million, which is what that reported new floor is, five million more than what it was before, that's still 18 million less than what your cap was in 2020. You're still basically taking an $18 million haircut from your cap last year, and the Vikings are nine million under, or excuse me, over, I should say, the floor projected for this year at 180. So they have to find that much room just to just to make the cap, and then obviously enough to sign draft picks and do the things you want to do throughout a year um, with injury replacements and all those kinds of things. So they've got to find room to, to, to maneuver here. And a lot of that's going to come down to the current roster. They're not going to spend a lot of money on their current free agents. Um, like I said, I expect them to resign guys from what I've heard guys like Rashad Hill, Amir Abdullah guys have been reliable reserves for them. And those aren't going to make a lot of noise. Um, you're not going to see, um, yeah, some big contract. I don't think for Eric Wilson, I believe he's been priced out. And the same goes for Anthony Harris, who frankly kind of got jobbed by the whole uh, surprise franchise tag last year. They couldn't trade him, which could have been to a landing spot that could extend him. So they couldn't do that for him. And then he didn't necessarily play that well this year. So he's entering a kind of questionable market and what a team's going to be willing to pay him. But Mike, when we're looking at their current roster, we got a lot of questions about this on Twitter, so I won't get into too many specifics, but I think when you look at overall yeah. some of the big names we've talked about at length before, but it's the, it's the decisions on Kyle Rudolph, it's the decisions on Riley Reef, who now, since we last recorded a podcast, um, has had another extra million added onto that cap number for 2021 because the Vikings decided to do right by him and give him that million-dollar bonus from last year that he barely missed out on due to a positive COVID test. And that was for playing time uh, percentages that he missed, just missed because he had to sit out that season finale. Um, so now that's 14.9 million for, for Riley Reef next year. If you keep him at that number, that's 9.4 million for Kyle Rudolph. These are big numbers. It's 5 million for Shamar Stefan. It's 3.8 million for Dan Bailey, who now is 
at the very least going to be competing to keep that job if he's still on the roster. And from what I've heard, he might not be on the roster to do that. So I don't know, Mike, what do you view as, I guess, to, to pivot to the current roster, what are the toughest decisions there for them to make? And, and what do you view as a potential successful outlook for them? Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about this with, with Ben Gasling too. Um, the Kyle Rudolph one seems like the easiest decision, even if it's a hard, it's a hard decision in that you like Kyle Rudolph. He's been here for a decade. He's a, he's a good, he's a good guy, but his, his role has been diminished. You know, he's, he's, you know, not being used necessarily in the same capacity that he once was. He's not being paid like a pass catching tight end anymore. So at that cap number, hard to imagine that he's going to be here. And especially with the emergence, like we talked about of Irv Smith jr., of Tyler Conklin last year, like he, it makes him, it just, all the pieces kind of line up to think that that's it. That's it for, for Kyle Rudolph. And that, you know, right there, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of your, your basic cap savings right there. I think, uh, I think Ben and you have both talked about a restructure for Riley reef that might make a certain amount of sense. If you, if you want to extend him a little ways, if you, if you were happy with what he did in 2020, which I think you should be, um, no. And again, you're not, you know, you're not trying to get worse on the offensive line. If he was one of your more dependable offensive linemen, even if you are, you are going to going set to about trying, trying to get an upgrade, upgrade on the line, line. it's, uh, so, it, it's, it's going to be, you know, you're going to want to have Riley reef around. So I think, I think that is an outcome of keeping Riley reef of maybe restructuring him to bring that number down. And, you know, maybe even that million dollar bonus is kind of a, 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 a good faith gesture heading into uh, heading, heading into negotiations, into negotiations on, on maybe some, some, some extension and, and things like that. But uh, you know, it doesn't leave you a whole lot of room though, to do much else, right. Upgrading wise. It's more of a, a trimming around the edges and, and hoping that the way you're going to improve in 2021 is by getting healthy on defense and, you know, having two or three really good contributors from that, from that 2021 draft class, probably. Yeah, they absolutely loved, just loved what Riley Reef gave them last year. And I think you're right. I think that's the right read on it. And from reading between the tea leaves anyway, not hearing this directly, but just seeing that move of them awarding him that and not doing it right away either. I understand they might have told him that, you know, in January after he missed it. But, you know, this was officially done in February, just weeks before. Right now, frankly, we'd be at the combine in a normal offseason. We would be at the combine and they would be having those negotiations about a potential extension. And this $1 million bonus came just a week or two before this. So I don't think there's a coincidence there. I think um, that that does make sense for it to be a good faith move ahead of a negotiation for an extension for him, because this guy's there. I believe he's 32 years old. He's played his best football, at least for you in Minnesota last year. And you can't really afford to get rid of somebody like that. So I think he played his way back into their plans. Certainly after they almost cut him as we've talked about at length. And so with that, you're right. I think that's one way to make some cap room um, by extending him. But you still got tough decisions on, like I said, Shamar, Stefan, Rudolph, Bailey, Colquitt too. Burton Colquitt, the punter, didn't play his best football last year, and they could save some money by moving on. Um, and it's it's crazy how quickly that changed from Mike Zimmer feeling great about his veteran specialist to I think they could potentially be having a new kicker and punter in 2021 once again. Um, they're restricted free agents we should go through are Afadi Odenabo, Mike Boone, Chad Beebe, and Chris Jones. And I expect at least half of them to get tendered. I would think Chad Beebe and Mike Boone, Chad Beebe definitely from what I've heard, and that's no shock, is going to get tendered. Um, Mike Boone is a coaching favorite. I think he will be as well. 
and Afadi, at the very least, I think will get the original round tender to stick around. Um, so I think you're going to see those guys stick in those reserves. They'll continue to try to plug and, and improve the roster through that. We got a lot of questions about outside free agents and potential spending and, and who could they go get to fill spots like safety, um, defensive tackle, three techniques, a big one. Um, people ask a lot about three technique, defensive tackle, that being another spot um, that they could upgrade uh, outside. Mike, if you had to pick one position though, for you, that they could upgrade in free agency with the, the little money they're going to have, um, what do you think it would be? That's a good question. I mean, they have so many needs, you know, you do, you know, I mean, I think the, the easiest, I mean, the easiest way to, you know, spend a little bit of money in is to, you know, think about are there, are there ways you can upgrade the special teams? Cause that was such a mess last year. I don't know if you chalk that up to, you know, weird season, you know, a blip, but that, that, you know, if, if it didn't end up costing them, individual games collectively it was definitely a, a, a contributing factor to an, an underwhelming season so are there are there ways to make an upgrade there outside of that um you know uh it, it feels like and maybe this has changed in in recent years as teams have kind of caught on to you know all parts of the offensive line being important but if you can um you know wait it out wait out the market a little bit and find a guard that isn't going to break the bank, but that will improve your situation over, you know, particularly uh, the spot that was, you know, occupied by Dakota Dozier as a starter last season. That's, you know, I'm always, a you know, me, I'm always big on upgrading the offensive line. If, if there's a low, lowish cost way to, to do that, to solidify things, to fortify things, um, you know, in addition to maybe investing some more draft capital, that that's what I would be looking at. Um, I think you mentioned, you know, defensive tackle is is certainly a place you could look at and, you know, maybe a veteran cornerback too. Cause I think that was one area last season where they were so young that if you brought somebody in that had a little bit of experience, but, you know, isn't in that star class right now, um, you know, maybe on a, a prove it deal, maybe that's a, another area where you could make yourself significantly better without having to spend a ton of money. I do think too, when you bring up guard, it does make sense a little bit to improve at least that backup role. I mean, we're talking about Dakota Dozier mainly, as you said, in that roster spot, um, Nick Easton is a guy the Vikings know well, Vikings fans should know well. Um, he was just released by the saints from that contract that the saints had signed him. I believe it got the Vikings a comp pick back way back when, um, a few years ago. Um, he's somebody that would make a lot of sense just knowing all they know about him, but the medicals are the big issue with him. Just he had a neck injury, concussion issues. If he's still willing to play football and, and come back, I do think the Vikings would take a strong look at somebody like that because he can play center and guard and be that valuable backup for you. And, I, and he, at his best, he played a lot better than Dakota Dozier was able to give them. Um, yeah, there are other names. I mean, there's veterans out there going to be available from Mike, from Mike Iupati. Actually, no, he retired. My bad. I'm looking at an old list. Tom Compton, uh, familiar face, Forrest Lamp, um, coming off a, a four-year rookie deal out of LA. Um, I think the big names though, a guard that there's just no way, um, financially they can make it work. Joe Thune out of New England, Brandon Scherf out of Washington. 
Um, I, I just think those guys, those are the names that fans are going to ask about the most because it is, it would be yeah. an instant upgrade. It would be an immediate <laughs> plug that guy and you don't have to worry about it. Um, you just know the Vikings do not spend that. They don't reward the guys coming off their cheap deals with those massive contracts. And, and certainly we'll have to see if those teams that they're coming from even let them leave. But I think the Vikings fans are going to have to be, they have to brace themselves to be underwhelmed by this free agency like they are every year. Outside of the year, they sign, you know, a Sheldon Richardson or Kirk Cousins. Um, they just don't have the money to throw around right now. And we are going to see more moves on the current roster. And so I guess, Mike, when we're talking about the current roster and what is on this team right now, um, we could talk a little bit about the coaching staff before we get into some questions about the players, because we do have so many questions about from Twitter yeah, we do. Um, regarding uh, free agent safeties, defensive tackles, surprise cuts. Uh, offensive line questions. So we'll get to all that here quickly. Um, but let's talk quick about the coaching staff. Um, Mike, I want to get your perspective before I talk. So I'm doing a story right now for Sunday's paper on Clint Kubiak and looking at his background and just trying to share with Vikings fans and learn a little bit about kind of how he got to this point outside of just, well, he's Gary Kubiak's kid. You know, he's just, he's, he's you know, Kubiak. So of course he's going to get a job. Um, I was fascinated to learn a lot more about him. And I guess I'm curious to hear your opinion first on when he got that job, what were the natural questions I suppose that you have about it? And what, what are you most curious to see about him moving forward or learn about him? moving forward? I think the most, the thing I'm looking to, to find out the most is, you know, probably on field stuff. Um, you know, coordinators, are interesting in of themselves. And, you know, obviously the son of Gary Kubiak, there's a, there's a good story to tell there. And I think he was pretty close to, and remains close with Kevin Stefanski, the former Vikings offensive coordinator, now the head coach of the Browns. What I'm most interested in is how, where, where does he fall on, where, where's his offensive philosophy? Because I, I think, you know, there's, there's this natural assumption of continuity when you go from, you know, not only the son of the last coordinator, but a guy who was on staff already as the quarterback's coach, but there will be a difference when, when he's calling the plays, when it's his imprint fully on, on the team and sure he gets input from Mike Zimmer um, on, on how he would like the game called in a, in a, in a big picture sense on what the offensive philosophy should be, but what, what's his imprint going to be, on offense does he approach it a little bit differently will he want to open things up a little bit more does he you know bring some tendencies and some wrinkles from different places that that might take an offense that in 2020 was good um and inefficient a lot but but also struggled in some key moments and got kind of predictably bad when the down and distance was bad and got themselves into the, that situation a lot. So what, what can he do to take an offense that has some pretty good pieces uh, to, to another level? And, and how does his philosophy play into that, into that possibility? Yeah, there, there are fascinating dynamics here with clay or Clint, excuse me, got the Kubiaks mixed up. Um, <laughs> there's a fascinating dynamic here because He's obviously stepping into Gary's role. He's working for Mike Zimmer. He's not the head coach, um, but he is, like you said, very close friends with Kevin Stefanski. He does have somewhat, I think, of a like mind with Kevin. I think the fact that they're so close and have been close since they worked together in 2013 here in Minnesota, when Kevin helped get Clint hired 
uh, as a quality control coach here with the Vikings under Leslie Frazier. Um, I think that relationship, there's no coincidence here that, that if you see similar um, pushes or similar themes with what Kevin Stefanski wanted to do, which is be a little bit more aggressive, um, not necessarily um, have to be so married to, we got to run it, you know, once every three or four plays. I, I do think there is going to be some similar Stefanski style traits to him, but I am fascinated to see, as you said, what is Clint's impact going to be based on the coaches that have been around him in the past? And we're not going to know that necessarily till we see it because there are going to be so many things this team wants to keep close to the vest, even though it's the same system. Yeah. It's going to be Dalvin cook pitch, right pitch left. There are going to be new things that Clint wants to imprint on this offense. He worked with Kevin Sumlin. He worked with, Mike Sherman, he worked with um, Cliff Kingsbury at Texas A&M. He has worked with so many different styles of coaches that really that imprint could come and manifest itself in different ways through this system. And one thing I talked to Kevin Stefanski for this story about Clint. And one thing that stood out to me the most was we were talking about the system. And I was trying to get at Kevin, like, why is this system that's been around for 25 years all of a sudden become this darling of the NFL. Like, why is it all these young coaches who were basically toddlers when the system was invented or were kind of yeah. fully polished? Why has it become a big deal now? And, and Kevin pushed back on the notion that it's just this copy-paste mentality. He said, if you look at all of us doing it, from me in Cleveland, from Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, from um, Sean McVay in LA, he said, there are such profound differences in how we run each individual system he said there's the possibility you could see like what, what Kevin did in Cleveland, what Clint could do in Minnesota. You could see him deviate in certain ways. We see the Rams run three wide receiver sets, try to spread the ball out, yet it's the same kind of outside zone running game system. They throw quite a bit too every now and then when they feel like it, when they trust their quarterback. Um, I just I think there are ways that we could see Clint try to grow, but the dynamic's going to be how much can he grow it when you are working for Mike Zimmer, my, it's still going to be Mike Zimmer's call on when you go for it on fourth down. It's still going to be Mike Zimmer's call on if he doesn't like that you didn't run it enough. We, we've seen that with former coordinators. And I think there's going to be that dynamic of, yes, it's a 34-year-old first-time coordinator. How much are the Zimmer training wheels going to be on him in terms of like not allowing him maybe to take as many chances as he wanted to? I think that dynamic is going to be fascinating to see because – is that um, with any Zimmer coordinator, I think we're, we're going to have to see how that plays out. And, and I think Clint, though, from what I've heard, is obviously enough of, you know, it comes from the Kubiaks, you know, learn the Kubiak system growing up in it as a kid. Um, I think it's going to work out just fine. It's just, is it going to be enough for what Vikings fans view as like progressive? I think that's going to be the question. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, can can he be progressive enough to make fans happy, but conservative enough to make Mike Zimmer happy almost? <laughs> and it's, 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 it's a, I think Stefanski of all the coordinators came the closest to kind of threading that needle, maybe Shermer too in 2017. And obviously those are the two that had the most success since they both got head coaching jobs off of those seasons. But it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing to navigate because even if Mike Zimmer is a defensive minded head coach, came from a defense first background as a coordinator on that side of the ball. He wants his offense to play a certain way. And, and part of that is because he doesn't want the offense to put the defense in a bad spot. I, I think, I think that's part of where the kind of the conservative run first or, you know, run often 
piece of this comes from. He sees the value as a defensive guy of, yeah, he sees how defenses can get worn down. He sees how, boy, if you go three and out, that doesn't do wonders for, for your side of the ball. So, you know, what, you know, why, why would you, you know, you know, turn the ball over? You're going to have a problem there too. So I, I see why he, he is that, but yeah, you, it's going to be next to impossible to please the head coach and the fans. And I think when push comes to shove, you know, which one, uh, Kubiak is probably going to uh, to uh, to bend to at that point. And when you talk to to players too, I mean, there's, I think, I think when fans look at this from the outside, they're going to say you've got the what was it the fourth ranked offense last year in yardage, you've got all this talent, Justin Jefferson, unleash him, you know, Adam Thielen, um, Irv Smith as we talked about, and then of course Dalvin Cook. You talk about all these weapons, and you think, well why shouldn't Mike Zimmer just trust it and just kind of be more aggressive? And we have seen him go for it on fourth downs quite a bit. It's not as if he's reluctant to do so, but I think the numbers last year were skewed just a little bit because of how often they were trailing late in these games. And you hear Mm -hmm. players talk about, yes, we were good on offense. However, we put the defense on such short fields. Um, We continually turn the ball over in terrible spots. And then our defense, while they were giving up 30 points a game, you know, offensive players felt like 10 points of that was, was every game was on the offense because they were putting their defense in bad spots. I think when you hear that on the record from players, as we did throughout the year, that's coming from Mike Zimmer. That's, that's repeating, in my opinion, I don't know this for a fact, but that's repeating probably a phrase that Mike Zimmer saying in team meetings, talking about how this is a team game. We are, we are doing this to ourselves a little bit from offense to defense. So internally, there isn't this view from what I can gather of, yeah, we figured it out on offense. Let's just go for it. I think they still want to play this kind of controlled game of, yes, we can be explosive. We can do all those things we did last year. But now if we just limit the turnovers and find ways to, to tow that, that kind of high wire even more, um, that is going to be the secret to winning more of these one-score games, beating Seattle on the road, doing those things that they hadn't been able to do. And I, I do, yeah, it's just going to be a fascinating dynamic. It's a nice way to try to win 10 games. I just don't think that's a way to win a Super Bowl. We could talk at length about that. Absolutely. Um, All right. Well, let's get to some Twitter questions here. we got about 10, 15 minutes to wrap up. Um, We got a lot of them. So thank you. You can always send them to Twitter at Andrew underscore Kramer. That's K-R-A-M-M-E-R. We got one here from Ryan. Ryan, my buddy Ryan wants to know about free agent safeties. Wants to know what kind of help they could get in the free agent safety market. He particularly likes a former Indianapolis Colt named Malik Hooker. I believe he was a top 10 pick way back when. I don't know, Mike. I don't know about you if they're going to spend 5 to $10 million on a safety, but you did bring up earlier about how looking for special teams help. They swung and missed last year quite a bit on trying to bring in veteran safeties. Um, I remember Will Parks yeah. was the guy they tried to get. Jeff Heath was another guy they tried to get. Not names that are going to be like, wow, those are great starters, but guys that would be on special teams making you a little bit better in that phase, I think safety is as good of a spot as any for them to try to find special teams help uh, with some kind of veteran bargain addition. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's true. And I mean, but I guess the first and foremost, like if Anthony Harris is gone, who's the starter at safety? You know, what, what's the, what's the plan beyond, you know, bringing in depth? What, what's the, what's the, what's rung number one next to uh, next to Harrison Smith? Well, I think that, I think they've shown you, a little bit that they're not past just putting an Anderson Dejo there, putting, putting somebody who is reliable enough or they view as reliable enough um, and just kind of scheming around that. And, and Mike Zimmer, that's why 
the, in my opinion, the Anthony Harris franchise tag was such a, sh- a surprise a little bit last year was you had the head coach talking about how that this isn't a position we prioritized and the front office decided to get a little, little cute and just try to tag him and trade him. And it didn't work out. And they got stuck with an $11 million safety that we saw last year. Didn't make the biggest, biggest difference um, in that back end. So I think Mike, we could see them sign one of these bargain bin veteran safeties and just have them start until they feel one of these young guys they bring along is capable of being that guy. Cause you're right. They don't have it on the roster right now. It's, it's not Josh Metellus. It's not any of these guys that they recently brought in. Those certainly aren't guys they're expecting to be in that role. Um, I think they have to either draft them or sign some veteran. They feel comfortable with, Hey Mike, how about this? Anderson Dejo is going to be a free agent. Okay. <laughs> You don't want to see a reunion? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, it's it's you know, I, I get what you're saying. Big picture, though, I get what you're saying that that they before Anthony Harris kind of emerged as as a good player, you know, especially for the 2019 and 2018. Um, you know, before he really emerged, they they were kind of doing safety by committee or or Sendejo and and Mike. Yeah, Mike Zimmer has, you know, for all of his wanting to, you know, be, you know, stacked at certain parts on the defense, he's never made that second safety spot a priority. So maybe it's less of a concern than I think. I just, you, you do need a starter though. Um, and, and I just wonder who that winds up being. You do need 11 bodies. That's true. That's true. You do. You do. Um, yeah. You do need 11 bodies. We've counted them up. Um, and that's, that's the number you need on the field. Sometimes it seemed like the Vikings played with nine or 10 last year. And that was unfortunate. Uh, we got another Ryan. He asks, um, what is the prediction for the biggest salary cap saving move? If, if the Vikings are going to make one move that saves them a lot of money, it could be an extension of somebody. It could be certainly releasing somebody, um, restructuring a contract. I think the biggest one would probably end up being Riley Reith. I don't know. Mike, you save 11 million when you trade cousins too. We haven't even brought up the Kirk cousins, uh, ongoing uh, fascination from around the around the league so the writers bring it up peter king even brought it up this week he created like this hypothetical you know basically trade every single draft pick they've ever had and get deshaun watson so i don't know it's it's and and kirk cousins goes out i, I, I just have fun with it but it, it it as you when you talk about money savings trading kirk cousins would theoretically save you 11 million dollars on this year's cap it would leave you without a quarterback which is a problem but if we're talking about cap savings just pure cap saving the the bigger the the bigger question though is is probably kyle rudolph i think that's that's a that's a pretty easy one to to see and i like that i like that you bring up how i mean how how low could they bring the riley reef number with a restructure do you think like and how much do they have to then backload that into future years where you know it could get kind of costly and and you know clog up future caps i don't see why they couldn't free up five million and and just as they did when they you know asked them to take a five million dollar pay cut um i could see that dropping to nine million and extending him in certain ways a couple years and and maybe you still use him as a tackle but you're rewarding him with the security of a few maybe two to three years on an extension and you cut shamar stefan i believe that frees up another four million um kyle rudolph is another five i think point one million um, there's just a lot of room that they could move with some of these guys. And, and Reef is the big one because what position, as you brought up earlier, what position is he going to play? If it is guard, um, that changes the negotiations a little bit. Um, we do have one question. This actually bleeds well into, um, we got a, a question from Greg. He wants to know about the offensive line. 
And this question about Ezra Cleveland directly impacts Riley Reef in saying that, could you see yeah. them just moving Ezra Cleveland over to left guard, filling that hole um, and bringing in somebody to play right guard. And then you've got still Reef Cleveland, and then you keep Brian O'Neill on the right side. Um, these things all impact that. Cause if you view Reef more as a guard and you kick Cleveland out to tackle, that's going to impact how much Riley Reef is worth on an extension. Yeah, that's true. And you know, maybe, you did draft Cleveland in the second round as a tackle um, and, you know, out of kind of a necessity, get your five, you know, what you consider your five best players on the field. He, he gets put into the lineup last year. He does okay, especially for a rookie. Um, and if he's on kind of the Brian O'Neill improvement plan, you could see him being even better in 2021, but that, that's a risk when you start to ask Riley reef just to move to guard and have that be a seamless experience. When you start messing with, positions it, it does get a, a little bit tricky there so I, I don't know I mean you I feel like if you're going to um, I feel like if you're gonna decide that Ezra Cleveland is is ready to be your tackle maybe that's the point where you just say Riley Reeve thanks for the memories but we're, we're gonna go in a different direction we're gonna we're gonna suck it up and, and hope that we have this right at guard and have this right at tackle Mike, let me put this question by you. I think it's a pretty good one. Blake asks, trading Harrison Smith and Adam Thielen should be options. Both players are past 30 and take up about $20 million between the two, saying you could build around Justin Jefferson and defenses should be built around the defensive line, not the secondary. What do you think about that? I think it's practical, except when you consider what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, which is that this is a little bit of a make or break year for Mike Zimmer and for Rick Spielman. And if there's an element of self-preservation in all of this, and I know those guys are, he's, he's right. They are getting on the wrong side of the aging curve. And this will be Harrison Smith's 10th season, right? Which is almost crazy to think about, but he was a rookie in 2012, was he not? So this will be his 10th season. Um, you know, Adam Thielen, same thing, get, getting some miles on him, but still plenty of value in both of those players. Yeah, those would be options, especially as a, you know, as a trade candidate to free up some, some cap space. But this is not given any indication that it's in any kind of rebuild mode. Um, so I, I would find it very surprising to, to have those guys in the conversation. Not saying you shouldn't listen to that, not saying that I don't think the Vikings should be more in of a rebuild. Let's see what happens in 2022 mode, but uh, I, I can't see them doing that. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy if the Vikings would be open to listening to what another team would potentially offer for Harrison Smith or Adam Thielen um, for all those reasons. I just think the outcome, like it was in October before the trade deadline, is going to be that they value them more than somebody else does. Um, and that, that goes for Kyle Rudolph, too. Um, I think they could have moved Kyle Rudolph from what I heard last October, uh, and they decided not to. And the offers just weren't there um, for teams obviously wanting their younger, more productive tight ends. Um, and, and I think we're going to see – we're probably going to see Harrison Smith and Adam Thielen on this team, not only for 2021 but maybe longer, because the Vikings know what they have in those guys. They know how reliable those guys are. And I think that is worth – to them more than a potentially second or third round pick or whatever some team's going to offer for him. Um, and Adam Thielen is, is interesting because his, his age works against him, but he really doesn't have a lot of mileage on him. He didn't become 
this every down wide receiver until 2016, the end of 2016. So he had a weird career, almost like Anthony Harris, where his age is older, but he's really not, hasn't been around all that long in terms of being a a contributor as we know him. Um, Let's see, we got any more questions here? Scrolling through them. Uh, I like the one from McNugget Um, with limited cat space and a need to address the D line. Can you see a Everson Griffin reunion happening as well as targeting a Geno Atkins type if released? Um, Everson Griffin, after all those mean tweets a few weeks ago, maybe not. Um, I don't know if they're eager to, uh, to, I don't know if Kirk Cousins would be happy to see Everson Griffin right now. Geno Atkins type though, you know, I could see them craving some stability, craving some familiar names. Um, you know, Mike Zimmer, if anything has been proven and you know, a lot of coaches are like this, Mike Zimmer likes what he knows. He likes the known way more than the unknown. He doesn't like surprises. He likes outputs that are predictable. Uh, so, so someone who he knows that that is a kind of a veteran cut uh that that wouldn't surprise me yeah i agree with you on everson i just i don't see it happening at this point certainly because one not not only the off-field stuff and yeah you you can't really go out there and publicly call the quarterback awful in so many choice words um and then return to the team that is kind of staking its you know reputation on that quarterback two on the field i think everson kind of showed you last year he's not the guy that he was, uh, he didn't, he didn't look to me, at least in the, the Vikings lions game, we saw him play and come to us bank stadium and the little bit that I was able to see of him in Dallas. Um, he didn't even look like the guy that was in new Orleans back in January of 2020 when they were beating them in the playoffs. Um, I think Everson's got some pass rush to him. He still has that left in his game, but the rest of it just didn't seem to be there last year. And the Vikings, I think got ahead of that a little bit by moving on from him and not wanting to pay him as much as he wanted. Um, because he just didn't look like he was the same player. And the Vikings, they're going to they're gonna pay for reliability. And I just don't know if Everson's really bringing you that in too many facets right now. And, and they would know that better than we, but um, I would be surprised to see that. And, and I think with Geno Atkins, why not? I mean, why not? They've, got, they've had so many issues at 3Tech, and Mike Zimmer talks every offseason about, I keep looking for this position. I keep trying to fix it. And when Sheldon right. Richardson came in in 2018 and they had that year with him, they didn't make the playoffs, but they wanted to keep Sheldon. They, they made an offer to him that was competitive and Sheldon wanted to stay, but the offer he got from Cleveland was that much better. And he was going to chase yeah. the money and, and maximize um, his profit. And, and so be it. And so that's why they can't really keep that position because when you finally find somebody that's good enough, they can go chase money somewhere else. And, and I think if you've got a guy in Geno, you can maybe – bring in be a part-time player if they think that he can still do it i don't see why not and i just think they're that desperate right now at that position for any kind of interior pass rush because mike you know how bad it was last year Um, they just had they just had nothing they had absolutely nothing up the middle so i think in the not only is it a consideration in the draft early on it should be a consideration with whatever money they have to throw around in free agency yeah, hundred um, percent. Here's a, how about we end on this question? We've talked about a lot of you know likely cuts that we could see coming. Um, this question asks you want which vet can be a surprise cut? Do you got any people out there you know on on the roster that you'd be like, I don't think this is going to happen, but it wouldn't a hundred percent shock me. 
Boy, um, I think we talk about so many of them already. We really do. We, we've talked yeah. about so many of it. And, and I think Riley Reef, we list, we list Kyle Rudolph's, the Dan Bailey, Shamar Stevens. Anthony Barr is the one that people, I think, keep wanting to happen. I just see this written so much about, is this the year? You know, why are they hanging on to Anthony Barr? Is he overpaid? All this stuff. I think last year, some, in a way, really increased Anthony's value in this organization because of how bad they were against the run. And I know this doesn't make splash headlines. It doesn't make people you know, jump over the moon. But the way that Anthony Barr destroys people in the running game, and when he's on, when he's 100%, when he's putting that effort in, you know, as famous Mike Zimmer called out his effort back in, you know, five years ago, when he's full bore, few people are as good downhill as Anthony Barr at stopping people. And, and I think that Mike Zimmer values that so much. And Mike Zimmer talks about, too, publicly and privately, what he means is like being the first draft pick and kind of, you know, being a cornerstone of that defense. They still believe that about yeah. Anthony. And I think is while people want to make that happen, I just don't see it. And so I guess that one would be a surprise to me if, if all that smoke and people talking about it actually came to some fruition of them deciding to move on from him, because they would be taking quite the bath. Like they would have to eat half of his salary just to move on from him. And yeah. I understand you'd be freeing right. up half of it, but he's worth more to you on the field than he is paying half his salary to move on from him. And a pec injury is not a neck. It's not one of those things that you, we haven't seen guys come back from and be the same player. So um, I do think we're going to see Anthony stay here. Um, I don't see them moving on from, I guess, Mike Hughes. Mike Hughes, they wouldn't save that much money on, but they haven't been very happy with what they've gotten out of him. So I guess maybe that's one guy that could potentially move on. from. I think the biggest surprise cut would be Justin Jefferson. <laughs> Dalvin Cook. <laughs> Dalvin Cook. <laughs> Not going to happen, of course, but just having some fun with that. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, well. All right, guys. Well, is that all we got? I think that's a good spot. Yeah, I think that's, prob that's probably a good rundown. Uh, some of them got a little bit more repetitive, but I think we pretty much everything that got asked of us, we addressed either early in the show or uh, in rapid fire style here. Yeah, we didn't talk about, we didn't even mention Greg Joseph, the kicker they, they brought in to um, at least compete for that job. But he could be competing with a rookie, another veteran they bring in. Um, could be the latest kicker that, that uh, is under Mike Zimmer's thumb. So we'll see. Um, Kari right, Vivek, bring him back. Come on, let's go. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Axis Vikings podcast. Please check out startribune.com for all of our work. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>